by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. That is Jesus Christ uh, who says, Do not count their sin against them, for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Albert Bader. We are privileged to serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. It's great to have you with us today. We are looking today at the readings for the transfiguration of our Lord, the culmination of our Epiphany season. And each week we get together with our Proclaiming the One program and we examine the readings for the week to help us as preachers uh, prepare and teach these readings to help us as hearers to be better prepared to receive the gifts of the Lord in the divine service each and every week. The Transfiguration of Our Lord is uh, a unique celebration and a unique festival. Back in the olden days, this was a uh, fixed date celebration in the church, which meant that uh, sometimes people celebrated it and sometimes people didn't. But uh, the Lutherans made a uh, very significant contribution to the liturgical church here by suggesting that the transfiguration of the Lord going up on the mountaintop with Jesus should come right before the beginning of Lent. And the uh, thought process there was you go up on the mountain and uh, you see the glimpse of the glory of Christ and then you come down from the mountain into the real-life world. Uh, We've got uh, some preparation weeks for Lent, the Jesma Sundays, but today we want to focus on that transfiguration of Jesus, what it is, and why it is. Vicar, would you share with us the introit appointed for Transfiguration Sunday? Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Okay, that's a portion of Psalm 84 with the antiphon coming from Psalm 77, 18. Your lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook. Now, when I hear that lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook, my mind immediately goes to Mount Sinai, to the giving of the law, to a mountaintop experience that 
put the fear of the Lord into all the children of Israel. Am I thinking of that correctly, Pastor, or is uh, is that verse from Psalm 77 teaching us something else? No, I think you're exactly right. When uh, uh, the people of Israel were at the foot of Mount Sinai, they wanted to see God, and uh, God said, okay, that's fine. Uh, he uh, came down with clouds and thunders, and uh, all the people were terrified. And then they said to Moses, you know, we don't want to see the God uh, that you're following anymore. We don't want to see the Lord. He's kind of a scary guy. Um, and uh, and so that picture's there. We have also then other places where we get glimpses of heaven, and we see this same sort of idea uh, taking place around God. It is the uh, the glory of God that uh, separates sinful people from his holiness, uh, and that's the very lightning and uh, thunder and storm they're sort of talking about here. So we have a God who is holy and righteous and scares the bejeebers out of unholy, unrighteous human beings. Uh, I don't know about you, but that's a major, major problem. If God is holy and I am not, I have no hope. And so here we see beautifully constructed in our introit something that seems to be completely out of whack. The one doesn't have anything to do with the other. Or does it? Aha, aha. Here's the beauty of God's word and the beauty of the Holy Gospel. We start out by reminding people of the holiness of God, the giving of the law, the majesty of God, the fear of the Lord in uh, Psalm 77, 18, our antiphon. And then at the end of our introit, we have, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So, Vicar, help me out here. God is light, pure light, lightning and thunder, Ten Commandments, uh, Mount Sinai kind of stuff. But here we see that God is a light, a sun and a shield. And instead of bestowing justice and fear and punishment, he bestows favor and honor. What's God saying to us? Well, God is the light of the world. He's the one that through his word teaches us exactly who he is and what he has done for us, namely how he sent his son to die for us and take away our sins. So even though we are sinful, unholy people, we are made holy people through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we walk in this world uh, with the light of God shining before us, that is his word, which uh, lightens our path so we know in what ways we are to walk and is our shield against those who want to try to persecute us uh, because of it. And because we walk in this way, because we have faith, God does not withhold any blessing from us, but gives us life here in this world and life abundantly to look forward to in paradise. Okay, so we have this holy, righteous, unapproachable God who promises that he is for us and not against us. He shines his light on us to enlighten us, not to vaporize us or quick fry us to a crispy crunch. So we see this, this nature of God, this nature of God that is gospel, this nature of God that is love, this nature of God that is for us 
and not against us. Now, we've got to put these two together because God is just, God is righteous, uh, a holy God must punish sin. You alluded to it there, Pastor, or uh, Vicar, that the, uh, the key to understanding this is Jesus. The bulk of the introit are selected verses from Psalm 84 that all have one thing in common, Pastor. They talk about where you live, where you dwell, where you sleep. How lovely is your dwelling place. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. What is all this dwelling place, tent, court? What, what does all this have to do with God being my light and my shield and my salvation? In the uh, Old Testament times, the uh, temple uh, that was in Jerusalem and before that the tabernacle in Shiloh uh, was the place where God dwelt among his people. Of course, uh, in the temple and in the tabernacle, he was separated from the people, hidden within the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest was allowed to go in uh, to offer sacrifice before them. And yet uh, it was a very visible embodiment of the fact that God was present among them. Uh, we uh, uh, have this idea that what is inside the Holy of Holies is actually heaven on earth. Um, and uh, it's not until Christ dies on the cross, the temple curtain is split, uh, and now Christ dwells with his people, uh, or God dwells with his people, no longer needing to be separated. That separation uh, is destroyed. We see the same idea in Isaiah. Uh, when Isaiah sees a picture of heaven, uh, he goes uh, uh, up there, he falls on his face, terrified, because he's a man of sinful lips. Uh, he's afraid, kind of, um, if you've seen uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, when they open the ark and all the people's faces melt uh, and explode, uh, Isaiah's afraid that's going to happen to him. An angel goes to the altar of the Lord and takes a burning coal from that altar and touches it to his lips. What's the thing that goes on an altar but a sacrifice? A sacrifice is burned there. Uh, and what's the sacrifice that now uh, prevents our terror from be, being present before God? It is the blood of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. Uh, and that uh, sacrifice now allows us to be in the presence of God. It now allows... Um, God to be directly with us uh, because our sin is forgiven. We're no longer unrighteous or unholy or any of those things. So the only way that an unrighteous people can approach a holy and righteous God is the fact that God condescends himself, takes on flesh and blood, and makes his real presence among us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Throughout the Epiphany season, we have seen manifestations of his glory. We have seen glimpses of his glory. Primarily, we've seen glimpses of his glory through the miracles. And we've looked at many, many miracles during this season. The uh, A lot of healings, the changing of water to wine, the miraculous star that guided the uh, Magi. And today we're going to see another miracle, uh, an epiphany miracle, probably the greatest epiphany miracle of all, when we see Jesus transfigured before the inner circle of the disciples. Uh, this, this transfiguration is often misunderstood, but it is the perfect revelation of God's glory. 
we get a glimpse of the light of God that dwells fully in the person, Jesus Christ. He is for us, not against us. He dwells, he pitches his tent, he tabernacles among us. The word becomes flesh and makes his dwelling among us. God comes here not to quick fry us to a crispy crunch, but he comes here to save us. And I would submit that another understanding or another meaning for all of these dwelling places, courts, house, house of my God, tents, all of these things teach us where Jesus dwells right here and right now. He's not a far away God. No. We don't have to go to some mountaintop experience to find God. Where's God for us, Pastor? He's, he's for us in the person work of Jesus on the cross, and that's the incarnation, and that's the key to understanding this. The uh, the tabernacle, the temple uh, where God dwelt with his people, now he's tabernacled in the flesh of Christ, and that's the key uh, to understanding the transfiguration as we look at it here in a little bit. And it is that very Christ that really dwells among us in the divine service, as his word is proclaimed in its truth and purity, as the crucified and resurrected body and blood of Jesus are put on our lips and in our mouth for forgiveness, life, and salvation. Oh, your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Keep those words in mind as we come back from our break and look at the transfiguration of our Lord recorded in Matthew 17, 1 to 9. Don't go away. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Love to have you join us for worship. We gather each Sunday at 8 and 1030 with Sunday School for All Ages in between. Wednesday evenings year-round at 630. Come and hear these words of God preached, taught, proclaimed, and as you heard in our uh, intro here, sung as well. We have a lot of talk about light today and in our intro in our first segment we talked about the light of God and how that light of God is often associated with terror we have a different kind of light manifestation or light epiphany to us in our gospel reading the account of the transfiguration of our Lord and uh, for today's purposes we're going to be looking at the Matthew account Matthew 17 
one to nine. Vicar, take it away. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking, when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. There we have it, the account of the transfiguration of our Lord and Savior Jesus. First nine verses of Matthew chapter 17 Uh, It seems to me, Pastor, that Matthew chapter 16 is a pretty significant chapter in uh, Holy Scripture, and especially in the Gospel of Matthew. I think it was the vicar who uh, a few weeks ago preached on this text when we celebrated the minor festival of the Confession of St. Peter. So, When we start out here saying, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John um, and went up to the mountain by themselves. Uh, Six days after what? What is it that is really kind of the pinnacle or the culmination of Matthew chapter 16 after the great um, confession, proclamation, acknowledgement of Peter? Well, it's uh, six days after uh, Peter becomes the Pope, right? <laughs> no, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, um, and Jesus says, uh, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Uh, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And he gives him the new name. I tell you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, uh, and I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And uh, while the uh, Catholics might say that's when Peter gets made the Pope, the reality is it's the confession of Peter that uh, you are the Christ that is the foundation on which the church is founded. And the keys that are given are the keys uh, which forgive sins and loose them uh, and unbind them from us. Um, And uh, we know that then also because right after that's when uh, Peter also uh, tells Jesus not to go to the cross and die for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, And Jesus says those famous words, Get thee behind me, Satan, uh, because when we're not confessing Jesus is the Christ, but instead inserting our own opinions and ideas uh, into the faith, uh, then we are uh, against Jesus. And so we see that there very clearly in Matthew 16. The uh, situation in Matthew 16 and 17 reminds me a lot of the upper room discourse that we have from uh, the Gospel of John, the uh, washing of the disciples' feet, and then Jesus teaching the disciples in uh, John 14, 15, 16, uh, 17 is when they leave and then uh, cross the Kidron Valley and uh, the 
crucifixion of Jesus is in uh, 18, resurrection in 19, or 18 and 19 both. But uh, Jesus takes time to encourage the disciples after he has given them the clear message that he's going to be arrested, he's going to suffer, and he's going to die. On the third day, he will rise again, but the notion of a resurrection is just completely outside their realm of understanding, their realm of believing. And so Jesus, because he is love and compassion personified, he wants to give the disciples some encouragement, something they can hang on to during the terrible sufferings and trials that await them. In uh, Matthew 16, he says, um, beginning at verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and on the third day be raised. This is when Peter took him aside and said, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Jesus then says, pick up your cross and follow me. And then here's where 17 starts up. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. Jesus is going to give a glimpse of his glory to the inner circle of his disciples. He wants them to be sustained. He wants them to get a sneak preview of the end of the story so they won't become disheartened as the story unfolds and as the sheer pain and suffering of our Lord and Savior Jesus becomes manifest to the whole world. We see here, I I just, I can't emphasize it enough, the care and compassion that Jesus has for tormented souls. The tormented souls of his disciples, of course. Tormented souls like yours and mine. Pastor, what are some times in the life of a Christian when our souls are tormented and we need some word, something real, something tangible to hang on to get us through? Boy, um, I've only been a pastor for uh, you know a few years here. Uh, you've been uh, a pastor for nearly a decade. Right. Nearly a decade. Which, you know... Um, in only those few years, how many instances have those have there been where they needed to hear that word of comfort and a reassurance, uh, the death of a loved one, uh, the uh, news that the loved one or yourself has cancer or Alzheimer's or uh, dementia or Parkinson's or any other sort of disease, a, a child being killed in an accident, a um, a child who falls away from the faith uh, and denies Christ, um, the uh, unexpected uh, pregnancy of a, a teenager, uh, the uh, a teenager dating someone who uh, does something terrible to them, uh, the list of those particular things when we need to have that reassurance from God. Uh, we could talk about it um, just from the 10 years I've been a pastor for probably six or seven days and list them off and off. Uh, and all the time as we face challenges in this world, we need that reassurance. Anyone who would say that uh, what goes on in the Christian church on Sunday mornings and Wednesdays is not relevant, is not applicable to their life or my life, uh, is uh, living in a fantasy world. It is never more real 
It is never more relevant. That seems to be one of the big buzzwords now. It is never more tangible than a loving God bringing love and compassion and forgiveness to a tormented soul, whatever that soul is tormented by. There is no shortage of things that torment the body, the mind, and the soul. And God's word is bountiful. His blessings never run out. And so when we are tempted to think, uh, woe is me, the end is near, God has forsaken me, the absolute place that we need to be is in his house, hearing his word, receiving his gifts, being surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ, encouraging us and pointing us to the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Now, the funky thing here is the disciples don't know any of this is going on. The disciples are kind of like Tweedledee and Tweedledum and Tweedledumber. You know, they're just kind of going along. They have no idea what's happening. Jesus calls his inner circle, says, come on, let's go up on the mountain. This is not unusual. Many times Jesus calls his inner circle of disciples, and they get a chance to witness something really big, really awesome, really cool. They have no clue what's going to happen here. But more importantly, they have no clue why. Jesus has separated them, why Jesus is about to give them this uh, amazing vision or experience seeing Christ in all of his power and might and glory. Pastor, in the time that we have left in this segment, before we get into the words of Matthew 17, when I read, Jesus is uh, transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. I am reminded of that scene from the early chapters in the book of Revelation, where John looks at one who is the son of man, and he has got the double-edged sword coming. Um, Is it it, uh, right and proper to equate these two pictures together? It definitely is, and I think it's no uh, mistake that in John's gospel there is not an account of the transfiguration because, in a way, John has his transfiguration uh, picture recorded for us as the book of Revelation as a whole. Uh, And that is the same Jesus that is in the book of Revelation that is being revealed here on uh, the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, Jesus, as he does his ministry on earth, is uh, the hidden God, the incarnated God. Uh, His uh, godliness is hidden by flesh and blood, and yet it is still there. He's still that same person. Here it's leaking out, if you will. Um, he goes from Deus absconditus to uh, the revealed God, the, the one that we can see, and, and um, that God is the God who saves us on the cross as well, and then pictured in heaven. When we come back from our break, we're going to take uh, a deeper look at the words of Matthew 17, 1-9, the Holy Gospel for the transfiguration of our Lord. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back.
Sundays at noon on KNNA. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline, Vicar Albert Bader. We are pleased to serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can always check out the archive section of our radio website for this or any other Proclaiming the One programs. We have all of our original programming located there as well, www.thecross957.org. And also be reminded that all of our services are broadcast live, 8 and 10.30 Sunday morning, 6.30 Wednesday evening on KNNALP 95.7 right here in Lincoln, Nebraska. We introduced the gospel reading from Matthew 17, 1 to 9. We introduced the transfiguration of our Lord and Savior Jesus. The um, face shone like the sun, his clothes became white as light, he was transfigured before them. Uh, Vicar, what's going on here, and uh, what is that uh, special and unique word that is translated transfigured? Yeah, transfigured. Uh, we get the word metamorphosis from this. It's uh, like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. And uh, I don't know if we can really compare that too much of what's happening here. Our Lord is literally manifesting himself for who he is, God in the flesh. And they are able to see his full glory, and it's shining like the sun. And uh, this is the first time that the apostles are able to actually see the full glory of Jesus being manifested just for the short amount of time because, as we know, Jesus is living in a state of humiliation here on earth. He conceals his true identity in flesh and blood, just like we have, so that when normal people looked at him, or any people looked at him, they saw him as just being another man, like anybody else. Yeah, when normal or abnormal people. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But during this time, he is choosing to totally reveal himself completely 100% God, completely 100% man to his apostles, and he's doing this by his transfiguration, showing his glory. And I think that's the uh, key with that metamorphous word. Uh, If I remember my biology days correctly, a caterpillar changing into a butterfly changes the appearance but not the substance. And uh, that's that's really what we're talking about here. The substance of Jesus does not change. It's just the fact that his hidden glory is now revealed to us. And uh, we see not the caterpillar, but the butterfly. And uh, that that part of it is pretty cool. It's amazing, too, that as the disciples see this uh, revealed glory of God, the glory of God that you would think would vaporize them, but it didn't. And the disciples not only are not vaporized, they see that God in Jesus Christ is for them and not against them. Uh, you know, they're not, they're not having a uh, dance party. They're not uh, breaking out the uh, grill and uh, 
barbecuing uh, brats like you would before a football game or whatever. Uh, Pastor brought out in uh, our previous segment that we lost due to technical error, and I'll uh, prime the pump here just a little bit, that um, uh, there was still awe and honor and reverence by the disciples uh, even though they realized in their joy that Jesus was for them and not against them. You want to comment on that? Yeah, I think that's something that's missing in our modern uh, church, if you will, is the idea of reverence. Um, the uh, apostles, yes, they are in the presence of Jesus, who is revealing his God nature, if you will, uh, glowing, and uh, and they even uh, they hear um, they see Moses and Elijah also, but they're not just uh, standing there in their pajamas. They're not in the back of church drinking coffee and talking during the service. Instead, they yeah, are they're worshiping. Not, they're they're not checking Facebook or YouTube no, during the no. long, boring sermon. Right, they are. Uh, they fall on their faces, a, a form of worship there uh, when they see that God is present. Uh, this is uh, when I was in uh, Israel here um, about a year ago. Uh, it's so sad to be in so many of these churches and see this American mentality where people are stepping over worshipers to get a picture taken of something uh, rather than being in a church for the very purpose of church, which is to come into the presence of God and worship him and receive his gifts. And I think that uh, sad idea is soundly dismissed here as the apostles fall on their faces before Christ. You mentioned uh, Moses and Elijah. It's almost like Moses, Moses and Elijah crashed the party. Uh, we've got Jesus. We've got the inner circle of Peter, James, and John. And now all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah are there. So so what do we have here, Vicar? Do we, do we have like a ghost? Do we have like a hologram of Moses and Elijah? What's, what's going on here with regard to this uh, so-called vision or whatever of Moses and Elijah? It's not really Moses and Elijah, is it? Well, we uh, are told that Moses does die. However, nobody really sees him die. He just goes off, and uh, he is no more, and then Joshua takes over, right? But for Elijah, uh, we know he did not die a natural death. He was taken up whole into heaven, so this very well could be Moses and Elijah standing there in front of them, and they're talking with Jesus. And more importantly, maybe, uh, is what we hear from the other Gospels, the Gospel of Luke. What are they talking to Jesus about? Well, they're talking about his departure, his exodus, and uh, what's going to happen to him in the coming days ahead. Pastor, what's the significance of Moses and Elijah being the two that are talking with Jesus? Well, Moses is the one who wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, uh, and uh, that's a rather important thing if you think about it. Elijah stands in the place as the prophet par excellence, uh, and uh, all the other prophets are supporting in what he did and uh, uh, preached and taught. And so uh, the uh, scriptures in the Hebrew mind are divided into different parts, the Pentateuch, uh, and then also the prophets, and then there's also some other writings and whatnot. But uh, those two uh, largest groups, the Pentateuch and the prophets, are represented here by Moses and Elijah, therefore showing that uh, these people are seeing who uh, God has uh, foretold in their own writings and that we can find the truth of Jesus in the scriptures. If we want to find out about Christ, we go to the Word, the Word, the Word. Uh, Moses and Elijah represent that. So the Old Testament in its totality, the Law and the Prophets, 
points toward Jesus. And uh, as Vicar pointed out, the Gospel of Luke, the uh, Transfigure account there, tells us the details, or at least some of the details, of what Jesus, Moses, and Elijah were talking about, his departure, his exodus, his exodus from the mountain, his exodus up another mountain, Mount Calvary, Golgotha, where he will bleed and die for the life of the world. Very, very, very significant stuff. Now, Peter, he's, uh, he's pretty enamored by everything that's going on here. Uh, it's kind of it's like uh, uh, Peter has been uh, dreaming his whole life that he's finally, finally going to get to see Michael Buble in concert. And uh, he gets to the concert, and uh, everybody's rolling their eyes now. Michael Buble, come on. Um, the, he's big because he was the first person to give a concert at the Pinnacle Arena here in Lincoln. So he's coming back again sometime this summer. It's a big, big deal here in Lincoln. Harry so, Connick Jr. Yeah, Harry Connick Jr. He's better. Uh, or in, <laughs> in my youth, how about the Beatles? You know, some, something like that. And he is so enamored by the fact that he is there and he is witnessing that. It's kind of like that scene from Wayne's World where uh, Wayne and Garth, is that his name, you know, in front of, was it Alice Cooper? Um, We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. (laughs) We're not worthy. This is kind of Peter here. He's losing his mind because he's so happy and so excited. And Peter says, Lord, it is good that we are here. Or if you're Lutheran, uh, Peter breaks out into song. Is good Lord to be here. Yes, there you go. Uh, great uh, transfiguration hymn. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Uh, Pastor, why is he correct in one sense with regard to the tent terminology? And why has he completely missed everything that's going on in the transfiguration account by his foolish attitude. Well, in uh, to use Jesus' own words, he's uh, putting new wine into old wineskins, or he's trying to take uh, the way God is revealing himself now and put it into the Old Testament form of worship. Uh, we talked about it earlier, uh, I think, in one of the last segments, about the fact that in the Old Testament, God was present in the tabernacle. In fact, in the city of Shiloh, the remains of that city, they've been doing exca- excavations and found the spot where the uh, tabernacle sat. Um, and uh, Jesus, or God, God was in the Holy of Holies inside the tabernacle. In the time of uh, David and Solomon, uh, that uh, tabernacle gets moved and God's presence comes into the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, In the uh, time after the exile, the temple's rebuilt and there's sadness that God's holy presence is not there in the new temple. And the reason that is is because now God's presence dwells hidden, not in a tent, not in a stone building, but instead in the person of Jesus Christ. And now that uh, godness is being revealed, and so Peter, as a good Jew, says, Oh, wherever God is, we're supposed to build a tent to keep him uh, separated and uh, away from us in his holiness. And uh, he sees Moses and Elijah, and he says, well, we'll just build three. If we're going to do one, let's build three, uh, and we'll keep you holy figures here in your special spots. And yet that's not what God wants. God, uh, by the person work of Jesus, wants to be in our presence directly, uh, to come before us face to face, uh, as it says in the book of Revelation, the uh, transfiguration according to John. Um, you know, God wishes to dwell directly with us. He is now 
face-to-face before us without any separation. The uh, curtain of the temple has been torn open. God with us, Emmanuel in Jesus. Okay, yeah, very good. Thank you. Uh, So the tabernacle part, he had that right as far as, uh, you know, God tabernacling with his people and the significance of the movable tent uh, in uh, the Old Testament and as a sign and symbol of God's real presence among us. And yet he thought Jesus revealing his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration was the pinnacle. He thought this was the event. This is the big deal. And he didn't realize that there was a bigger and greater act to follow. In fact, a bigger and greater act that would make most people forget all about the transfiguration of our Lord. Because the transfiguration of our Lord is not where Jesus truly reveals his full glory. But it's a different mountain. Where Jesus carries his cross, goes up Mount Calvary, where he is suspended naked between heaven and earth as God's perfect sacrifice for the sin of all people, once and for all, for you and for me. This is the glory of God, that the dead body of Jesus be sacrificed on God's high altar on Calvary for the life of the world. Forgiveness, life, and salvation are yours. Peter, you think the transfiguration is something? Wait until you see Good Friday. Peter, you think that pitching a tent here on Mount Tabor or Mount Hermon or whatever is the place to be? You wait until you see what happens on Golgotha, on Mount Calvary. And when you see that, you will realize that God in Jesus Christ is truly the Christ, the Messiah, who has come to save you and me and all mankind. I'm getting a little preachy there. We need to take a break. We're going to come back and look a little bit more at our gospel reading and uh, bleed over into our epistle reading, another wonderful account of the transfiguration of our Lord. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. Each week we take a look at the readings for the upcoming Sunday. Today we're looking at the readings for the transfiguration of our Lord. In our first segment, we look at the introit portion of Psalm 84 and the antiphon Psalm 77. In the Second and third segments, we've looked at our gospel reading, the historic account of the transfiguration of our Lord, Matthew 17, 1 to 9. Uh, we seems like we've been doing this a lot here lately, but we're still not done with the gospel reading. We might be able to bleed over in this segment into our epistle reading. We'll see how, how things go. We've got uh, six days after the great confession of Peter on the road where he confesses Jesus as Christ. 
Jesus gives the disciples a glimpse of his glory. Not all the disciples, but his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. They go up on the mountain with Jesus. Jesus has a metamorphous type uh, experience with them. He reveals his true glory. He, his clothing, his hair, everything shines like the sun. Peter uh, can't keep his mouth shut, and uh, he says something stupid. Uh, Let's build a tent and dwell here up on the mountain forever. And uh, not just you, Jesus, but uh, your buddies there, Moses and Elijah as well. Moses and Elijah that are there uh, giving testimony. The entire Old Testament, the law and the prophets, pointing forward to the person and work of the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus as Lord. And while... They were uh, while Jesus was still speaking, or I guess when Peter was still speaking, babbling on about building the tent. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them or enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, "This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him." Okay, so we got. We got two things going on here, Pastor. We have a bright cloud that overshadows or envelops them. And then we have the voice. And that voice uh, that is recorded, the message from that voice, sounds strangely familiar. Seems like I've heard it someplace before. Uh, Take one or both, tie them together, however you want to address it. Well, the voice maybe is the one that we can do quicker. That is the voice of God the Father, which speaking the same word that he spoke uh, at the baptism of Jesus when the Holy Spirit descended on a dove and the heavens were ripped open. Uh, And so that's uh, God speaking the same message. It's almost like he says the same things over and over and over again to reinforce them to us so that our uh, sinful minds that struggle with these things can uh, uh, hear them multiple times and be... uh, Uh, convinced of the reality of it. The bright cloud then brings us back to uh, Exodus chapter 24 when the covenant is confirmed and uh, the people of God are there at Mount Sinai and uh, God comes down in lightning and bright cloud and uh, uh, the people see him face to face and that's the uh, also then which I think is important for the transfiguration right before the tabernacle is built uh, and described and so we have this uh, idea that Jesus is the new tabernacle where God dwells with his people, hidden uh, in human flesh and blood, revealed here for Peter, James, and John, and then also for us in the crucifixion and the resurrection, uh, and pictured then also by St. John in the book of Revelation as well. And so all these things being brought together in this one short little uh, segment of Scripture. Uh, What about the cloud that uh, followed the children of Israel, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, the cloud that enveloped all people uh, uh, when um, the uh, cloud uh, dwelled and filled the tabernacle and then later the temple that was the you know picture, the eyesight, the real presence of, of God. Can we connect those clouds with this cloud as well? We definitely can. I think we can connect even more things. We can connect the uh, 
bush that burned and never was consumed. We can talk about Elijah. Uh, I think it's Elijah where the hand of God is placed over the mouth of the cave as God passed by. And, And what's behind all of these things is that God does not reveal himself in his glory uh, because he knows as sinners we can't handle that. And so God is always a hidden God, except for where he chooses to reveal himself uh, in the person of Jesus and then also to us uh, in the divine service, in the word and the sacrament. And I know there are those who say, don't put God in a box, but uh, the fact is, uh, for our sake, God does that very thing, being present in ways that we can comprehend and understand him and yet uh, not be destroyed by his glory uh, until we get into that place where we can see God in his fullness, which is the world yet to come. When uh, when the next couple of verses are read, everything kind of comes full circle with regard to all of our readings for today. The Old Testament reading, Exodus 34, 29 to 35, is uh, Moses receiving the Ten Commandments, and the reflection of God's glory was like a bright sunburn on his face, but it faded. Um, a type of a transfiguration, but not a true transfiguration like Jesus. The lightnings lighted up the world, as we heard in our introit. We have this transfiguration, the the cloud, Moses and Elijah. Everything is overshadowing all of these people. The voice comes and puts God's stamp of approval on the person and work of Jesus. And then in verse 6 of Matthew 17, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and they were terrified. They understood this is God in the flesh. This is the glory of God. They should be vaporized because they are sinners. Woe is me. I'm a sinful man, and I come from a people. Uh, I have sinful lips. I've come from a people of sinful lips. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6. They get it. They fall on their faces. They are terrified, or as we read in Luke chapter 2 with the uh, shepherds, when they had a similar scene with the angel of the Lord, They were sore afraid. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. Words of absolution. I was just going to say, Pastor, can we equate that to the absolution that God speaks through the pastor on Sunday? And if so, how? Yeah, it definitely are words of absolution. That's the thing that uh, uh, Christ always says, or even when the angels appear, they say, have no fear. And the reason that we can have no fear before God is because our sins have been forgiven. The reason that Isaiah could have no fear in heaven is because uh, the uh, blood of the sacrifice and the burning coal from the altar touched his lips, the very same thing that happens to us in the Lord's Supper. Uh, We can have no fear before God because of what Christ has done for us uh, on the cross to forgive us all of our sin. And uh, that's the promise that Jesus speaks here to these three men on the, uh, the mountain. They lifted up their eyes. They saw no one but Jesus only. The cloud is gone. Moses and Elijah are gone. They saw no one but Jesus only. Vicar, how is that a a crucial thought for us to be reminded of with regard to all of our external experiences in the church, in worship, in our faith life? They saw nothing but Jesus only. Jesus is the only way to salvation, and he speaks to us, as we've already 
talked about these same words, rise and have no fear. He forgives us all of our sins so that we can focus our attention solely on him and know that through him and his work, we have salvation through the forgiveness of our sins through his death and resurrection. Pastor, is there anything else that you want to milk out of this particular text in Matthew 19? You know, there's a lot more we could talk about, but I think that's probably good for one particular episode, and we'll tackle it again next year. Okay, Vicar, do you want to uh, read for us the epistle, 2 Peter 1, 16-21? For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as to the lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. All right, uh, Pastor, starting in verse 19, and uh, 16 and 17 and 18... (coughs) Peter says, hey, we were eyewitnesses. We were there. We saw the transfiguration. And as awesome and as great as that was, starting in verse 19, we got something better. We got something more sure. What could possibly be better or more sure, Pastor, than seeing a glimpse of the glory of Jesus on top of the Mount of Transfiguration? Uh, The prophetic word, the word of Jesus, and this brings us back to the uh, uh, same idea that perhaps we we hear about in the uh, rich man and Lazarus, when Lazarus says to uh, Abraham, go back and warn my family. Uh, and uh, Abraham says to the rich man, they have the word, the, the prophets and the, uh, the Torah. If they don't believe those things, neither will they believe if someone were to rise from the dead, which is a very thing that Jesus does. How does Jesus reveal himself? Uh, he doesn't uh, appear to us in visions. He doesn't uh, uh, come down and uh, you know, walk around downtown uh, Lincoln. He gives us the word uh, that preaches the reality of what he's done. He gives us baptism, which uh, sends the Holy Spirit into our heart and forgives all of our sins and adopts us into God's family. He sends us the Lord's Supper, where we eat his body and blood for forgiveness, life, and salvation. It's those things where God chooses to reveal himself, something that's even more sure than having seen Christ transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. And with that transfiguration, we see the light of Christ shining. And uh, Peter does a beautiful job of taking that light imagery, that epiphany symbol of light, and spinning it right back around on us that the Bible, the prophetic word, is the lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. It is the bright light of Christ that illumines the darkness of sin, death, and the power of the devil. And Peter here also emphasizes the fact that we read about in Matthew's Gospel that when Jesus appeared transfigured and they were all overwhelmed and uncertain of what to think or what to do, uh, 
God gives a word. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Um, even God preached the word directly there. The faith that uh, what was happening was real came from the preached word itself. We also have here the uh, very, very significant Bible passage, Second Peter 1, 20 and 21, where it talks about the uh, Holy Scriptures, uh, how we got the Holy Scriptures, where they come from. Uh, this is this is not some clever invention of man. This is not a creation of the church. This is not uh, something that uh, uh, people created by fixing or closing the canon. This is the Word of God, God the Holy Spirit. And in verse 21, we see how God the Holy Spirit brought that Word to us. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Pastor, we've got about a minute left. Uh, How does this teach the inspiration of Scripture? In God's infinite wisdom and understanding, uh, he worked through men who recorded what they saw so that that word um, might create faith. And the way that God does that is through the Holy Spirit. Uh, He, in his wisdom and unknown to us how, whenever the word of God is preached, God sends his Holy Spirit to be there. And so that's a key for you listeners. Be at a church where God's word is preached in its truth and purity, knowing that there the Holy Spirit will be creating and sustaining faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation. The word, the word, the word. Amen. Amen. We, uh, we need to bring this session to a close. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back again next week when we start the Jesima Sundays, God's richest blessings in Christ.